I'm Susan Branscom, and this is Leading She. Greetings, Leading She listeners. This is Susan Branscom, creator and host of Leading She, the podcast. Welcome to a special edition of Leading She. I began this podcast almost three years ago, and since then, I have hosted 45 wonderful women leaders. A special thank you to my recording studio, Gwen Sound, and my marketing person, Tessie Ward of Tessie Ward Marketing. I really feel called to do this work and see myself as the communication conduit between executive and entrepreneurial women who have had successful careers and the women and men who want or need to hear what they have to say. And I relate my own experience as well, since I've had some success and worked 42 years in male-dominated industries. To date, we've had over 13,500 podcast downloads. We have 2,000 followers on our social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. I hope you will let your friends know about Leading She as we build our listener base. There are more podcasts to come, so stay tuned. Follow us on Leading She on all social media formats, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Watch for a special in-person event in October in Cincinnati, in which we're going to host a great panel of women, providing more of their insights and wisdom. If you might be interested in sponsoring Leading She, you will get your money's worth. We promote our sponsors in all our emails, on the podcast, and in our social media. So if you're interested, write to me at leadingshe at gmail.com. Now to get started with this special edition. The three topics are going to address gender bias, communication, and finally speaking up or saying just the right thing at the right time. I have an introduction for each, and then I include clips from previously aired podcasts, which I address these topics based on my guest's experience. I'll introduce the person, her title, and then the Leading She episode number. We'll start with gender bias. Many of my guests and I have experienced gender bias. Perhaps it's assumptions about us, which are not true, around our careers or home lives. Perhaps it's simply being left out because we're a woman. We all have stories. As women who work in male-dominated industries and careers, we can't experience gender bias. We all have. We're treated differently. We're left out. The expectations of us can be different versus our male colleagues. What do we do? These bold women stayed true to themselves, and they did speak up, and they did not cave to the expectations. Sometimes it's unconscious bias. Sometimes it's overt. Listen in to these guests. First, we will hear from Pat Taylor Woodyard, an executive in the environmental services industry, Episode 9. Let's talk about something that we've both experienced, and that is a tendency for men to, and women maybe, but uh, really men are often in power in companies, uh, to speculate on whether a woman is motivated whether she will come back after a maternity leave, uh, whether she'll be motivated then. And we talked about maybe there is a natural instinct uh, with men to look out for, take care of women and just, you know, look out for them. At the same time, uh, they may be diminishing our value and not and questioning our motivation. Um, But uh, I was always a career woman, but I did feel that people were speculating as to whether or not I was motivated after I had children. Um, What advice would you give to men and to women around this about 
the, you know, our careers and what people think we're going to do or what people think, you know, how motivated, how driven we are, despite families or despite what's going on with us. That's a real important topic, Susie, because I, I've seen that my whole career and I see it today. It's not, it hasn't changed all that much um, um, and, it, and the ramifications of it uh, is it's, it's in, in its unintended consequences, it's slowing down women's movement up the career track. Let me, let me describe a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have, I've been in leadership positions most of my career and that means I'm at the table and have always been at the table where um, people were being considered for the next position up or the next challenge up or the next task up that was going to grow their career. And candidates always get brought forward by whoever is in the room. Um, in the early to mid part of my career, the candidates were always men who were brought forward, irrespective of whether there were women candidates. Um, when women candidates were brought forward, and even today when they're brought forward, um, for whatever reason, and I've always perceived, again, I'm not a psychologist, but I've always made the assumption that because men are either fathers or brothers, it's their natural instinct to protect the the woman, um, and thereby they're, in some cases, I'm noticing they're overly sensitive to the situations that women face juggling work and life, work and family, work and children, um, maybe they're even a single mom and they've got children, so it makes it even more challenging. And so they make preconceived notions about the person's ability to take on the next level, to travel for their job, to work longer hours, or whatever the situation of the job requires. So what happens is you get in the room and comments come up, when, and men and women both need to pay attention to this. Comments come up like, oh, but, you know, She's a single mom. Oh, but uh, she really might not be able to travel because she's got some gender care needs that she has to deal with. Uh, or, gee, you know, she looks like she's struggling with her work-life balance now with some home issues that are happening, so maybe this is not the right time. So what happens is it comes into that meeting conversation, but it never leaves the room. In other words, the, the, the group then moves on to the next candidate, uh, which are often the male candidates, and then they move on and talk to the, about them more in a business, what are they accomplished, are they capable mode, instead of, you know, what is their personal situation. Right. In fact, I've never been in a conversation where the men's personal situation came into the discussion after 42 years. Mm. It, but in women's, it's invariably brought up if there's something visible that or they know that might be a challenge, so that it doesn't give the woman the opportunity herself to make that choice. Right. Um, and yeah. my, my recommendation for men and women is, you know, give those women the choice. Ask them whether they would be like to be considered. Don't, don't prejudge. Don't speculate. Right. And for the women, what I would say, and I, you know, tell me if you agree with this, and, and that is, and what I've done in my career, I would interview per, for positions and I would say, you know, I know you can't ask me this because it's, you know, illegal to discriminate based on me having children or me being married, but I'm very motivated. I'm ambitious. My career is important to me. And I would say it throughout my career just to let let people know in case they were having these side conversations about whether I was motivated and going to work hard or not. 
I had to remind them as as a woman because these things, you know, these thing conversations do go on, right? Yeah, I I don't think that's a bad idea. I I based on where I was in my career, I just kind of pressed along and proved that it didn't matter. Um, that's not the best choice. I like your choice much better. Um, the the thing I do notice is that. Some women, not, and it wasn't me, some women would come into the workforce in the workday and they would express what happened at home. They would share in their sharing mode, share what the challenges of their life were and juggling and, and may come across like they're having difficulty even though they don't mean to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my, my thought was, gee, you know, you don't see men doing that. Um, so best not to make that kind of thing visible in my mind, mm-hmm. uh, because it gives people ammunition to not, not consider you. Right. Keep the private life private. If you're having issues with childcare or issues with your husband or you know, housework, whatever it is, keep that yeah. there. So people don't think, well, she has this going on and that going on and make excuses and whatnot. Right. Now listen to Karen Case, Executive Managing Director and President of Commercial Real Estate for CIBC U.S., Episode 26. You know, it's interesting. I've had some, uh, you know, women, even in my organization, who've talked about how male managers may give them easier projects or assignments because they want them to be successful, right? That's what they say. And so, but then when the juicy assignments come around, they say, well, you don't have the experience to take those on. But they haven't given her so any experience. Kind of a, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and things like at performance review time, a male manager will say to the women working for them, hey, you're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. And to the men, they give more meaningful feedback on how to improve performance. And again, maybe it's back to their fear of hurting feelings and maybe somebody will cry, but that makes it very difficult for women to advance. They don't get the great assignments and, um, and, and they don't get the meaningful feedback. What would you say to women then? I, I think we talked about you got to ask for it. Right. It's like I see this assignment here. It looks like something that would really interest me and be a challenge to me. Ask to take it on. Would you agree? I I absolutely agree. If you don't let people know that you're interested, they won't know that you're interested and that it's important to you. Um, Yes. Yes. So speak up, ask for the challenging assignments. I think sometimes men maybe don't think that uh, women can handle the challenging assignment for whatever reason. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that they maybe don't think we're up to it or we're not smart enough or something, but there's a, there's a comfort level perhaps giving that assignment to, you know, again, somebody that looks like me, uh, my guy, you know, it's like he can handle it. He's going to do it. And then it's like a little bit of patting on the head, kind of like, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing fine. You know, uh, I've experienced that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and we've talked about this. Women sometimes make the mistake of thinking that if we work hard, it's enough. Yes. But I think we have to work harder at articulating our desire to get promoted, to serve on committees, to lead teams, or capture great opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. We need to put ourselves out there, right? And as children, 
we were called to be good girls, right? And good girls aren't pushy, but we've got to be proactive. We've got to ask to be involved Mm -hmm. and to lead high profile projects. And I think of an example in the mid nineties, when I worked for LaSalle Bank, our real estate team was, we were opening offices outside of Illinois. And my manager was looking amongst his troops for someone to open and run these offices. And I'm pretty sure I wasn't on the list. I mean, in his mind, the fact that I had three school-aged children meant I wouldn't want to travel. Right. Now, you probably agree with me. I don't know what he was thinking. I had three school-aged children. Of course, I wanted a night or two by myself <laughs> in a hotel room. Right? I understand that. <laughs> but, but. I sat him down and I said, don't discount me because I have a family. That's not your decision to make. Please give me the opportunity. And he did. And it worked out fabulously. Mm -hmm. And so I think you've got to raise your hand. Don't take no for an answer. Keep asking. Yeah. Because in all likelihood, women have to ask more to get the same outcomes as men. I, I don't know why that is but it just seems to be true. Yeah, it's what we have to do. And we've talked on the podcast to a number of women who said, you know, don't make assumptions, like you're saying, don't make assumptions about what I will and won't do, what I'm willing to take on just because of my family situation. Don't make succession plan decisions considering what my husband does and whether he'll be transferred. You know, it shouldn't be any different than the guys, but it is. And so therefore we have to take action to speak up about what we want. Absolutely. Next, we have on the topic of gender bias, Jill Magruder, high-ranking executive with Western Southern Financial Group in Episode 8. We talk about gender, and we're in male-dominated industries, and we've talked about the concept of gender neutral. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? So I use the term gender blind, and I that's always been my philosophy. I'm happy to say that most of the environments I have worked in and the people I have worked for, uh, gender neutrality has always just been table stakes, even though, to your point, it's been male-dominated. Just table that That's just a given that we are gender neutral. Okay. It's just, Understood. that's just how we operate. That's how mm-hmm. our business operates. Yes. So... I think I try to use a gender I use gender blind because if I just if you're if you're neutral in how you approach things and again neutral blind maybe you use it interchangeably but I think blind seems more intentional to me uh than the term neutral mm. uh so that you are truly judging people's contributions on the merits of what they bring to the table um, and uh, male, female uh, just is not an issue. Uh, mer- pure meritocracy. Um, and I've, again, I've been blessed to work in organizations like that. Although, as we've discussed, there have been times <laughs> yes. when you face, you uh, interact with a person who is not gender blind. And of course, you do have to react to that. Mm-hmm. You can't just ignore the fact that. Uh, one of you is male, one of you is female, if the other person is making an issue of that. Right. But, Do you uh, have a story around that? Any... So, yeah, I've got, I've probably got a couple of stories. I have a couple, too. <laughs> yeah, give me, give me a good one. So, um, 
one that um, really has um, stuck with me my entire career was a discussion about succession management. And again, succession management discussions are sacred. They should be the most confidential uh, conversation any team of managers has around their team. But um, with respect to my um, succession management, the discussion around me, which got, you know, sort of leaked to me, uh, when they talked about flight risk, um, someone mentioned in the meeting that my husband had a good job. And therefore, there was little risk that I would be leaving the uh, my employer or the city. And, you know, that's one of those where you just can't really accept that. Um, that was true. My husband did have a good job. But the fact that that would have come up in a succession management conversation around my flight risk was very offensive to me. Right. Um, Understood. So, so that's... Yeah. I mean, if you were, uh, if you were a man mm-hmm. and... and would Your wife ask? had had you know a job here. Exactly well, he's not going right. to leave because she's right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You, know, you turn the tables. I mean, it's different. Right. So that's that's one example. Um, and it's it did figure into the equation when I left that company, the company where I started. Mm. I mean, I did leave that company after ten years, and it certainly wasn't an immediate reaction to that mm-hmm. uh, because I did have a good job. I was very happy doing what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but. Sort of a series of events uh, over the next probably five years, they, that did figure into mm-hmm. uh, my decision to leave that company. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. I mean, companies should hear that. Yeah. You know, that. Uh, and again, that, that was matters. one individual. And I don't indict the whole organization by what one individual said because I did say I've been blessed to work in in places that, you know, promote mm-hmm. gender neutrality. Uh, but. It only takes one person to really just sort of push you, push you over that edge. You say, that's just not fair. Next is a story from Diana Reed, a retired top executive with PNC Bank, episode 14. There was something that happened at Credit Suisse, mm-hmm. First Boston. A senior person said to you that, "Did you do you really want to wear pants? I guess you brought, <laughs> you came in in pants one day. Yes. And we wore, we wore skirts and dresses back then, right? I mean, yes. pantyhose, the whole thing. But you you came yeah. in in pants one day. I, I so. did. I I did have a uh, one of the the head of um, of uh, the uh, debt capital markets desk uh, noticed I was uh, we were chatting uh, bringing a new issue and something and I was over at the uh, the main uh, desk talking to him and and he was quite surprised that I had worn a, a pantsuit and I I uh, <clears throat> I sort of brushed it off and said you know and. Told him what the label was, and it was a it was a very nice pantsuit. Mm-hmm. I was not wearing uh, I was not wearing uh, jeans and a t shirt, and oh. so I remarked to him that uh, that it was uh, it was quite fashionable and it was quite expensive, and so he could just uh, back I, off. Yes, I, I <laughs> thought it was uh, it was good. completely appropriate yeah. for uh, for the desk. That's but. good. I mean, the message there to me is that. Somebody's saying to you, and they're criticizing you, and the guys are wearing pants, right? So why can't you wear pants? And you know, you more or how less times set them changed. straight. How how times have but changed? But you didn't just though. say, "Oh, I shouldn't be wearing pants," and go Not home and all. get a dress. You didn't do that. Linda Clement Holmes, a retired top executive with Procter and Gamble, episode one, talks about gender bias. Did you ever feel like there were um, um, double standards around being a woman, maybe a woman of color? 
around your work ethic, uh, what was expected of your peers versus what was expected of you mm. in, in any situations? Well, even just as we were talking, you know, I think the FaceTime thing, um, yeah. you know, really matters. So, for example, it, it wasn't until this last few years in that last role that I feel like from the time I was a new hire, that was the last time I sort of felt this way, that people needed to see where you were, even though my counterparts could be gone for weeks because we had global jobs. So we'd be traveling, you know, however it was. So I'd have counterparts, men, who'd be gone for four, five, six weeks. But then I I would start to hear, and particularly via my admin, who was sort of my front door, so to speak, comments around, well, where is she and so forth. And it even if I was traveling or not traveling or if I had to go do a school event or whatever, there was more of that for me than there was anybody else. Yeah. yeah. And I just like, so there is what? a double standard. There's a double Where standard. Where is she? Exactly. As opposed to, well, that person I haven't seen in two months. Right. And Why like, are you not expecting him exactly. to be sitting here like exactly. you are me, right? Exactly. So there was a lot of that. And I thought that was quite, it, it was a double standard. And yeah. to the point where my admin, she really got upset about it because she'd worked for other, you know, vice chairmen and so forth. So she has a lot of history. She said, I've never seen this happen before. Why are they treating you that way? Right. And so she was really upset about it because she said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I said, it's not. It's a double standard. It is for sure a double standard. It is a double standard. I had that experience in a cor- when I was in an, a corporation where... We traveled a lot because we were out looking at properties, and so two days out of the week, often, I would be traveling to mm-hmm. some city to look at properties. And one day, my assistant, my boss's assistant came in, and she said, Susan, what time did you get in here mm-hmm. today? I'm like, well, I had a dentist appointment, so I think it was nine. And it's like, okay, and she's writing it yeah, down. Right. It's like, she's keeping track of my exactly. time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so we had this off-site company meeting, everybody was there, something I regret doing. But what I said, you know, when we were, I don't know, somebody brought something up and I said, I don't understand why you're tracking my time. Mm-hmm. Because when I'm not here, I'm I'm working too. And do you want to know when I was at the O'Hare airport yes. at one o'clock in the morning trying to get out? Do you want to know about those hours too? Right. You know, wasn't yeah. the right time, wasn't the right way to do it. But I was so aggravated yeah. that they were keeping track of my time. Exactly. You know? Particularly when you're in the kind of roles that we have, where right. you are working a lot, like around the clock. Right. Um, and I feel like people in in our department said, Susan's never here. She's yeah. over there. Exactly. Well, I'm out working. You exactly. know, when I'm not here, I'm working. And I might have a dentist appointment, but I will be at the Chicago airport waiting for my flight if I need to be. Right. And I get up at four to get my kids ready and work. Exactly. Exactly. And then that's not, you know, my, my analogy has always been if I was running a race and there were, you know, myself and my colleagues all in the starting lineup, we all have the same, like all things being equal, same skills, same experiences. Mm-hmm. What I have on my back is a backpack. And in the backpack are kids and my mom and this and that, all the things you for your spouse, all that stuff is in the backpack. My colleagues don't have that, but we got to take off and run. And I have to run harder and faster to keep up or even go past. Right. They don't have the weight of the backpack, you know, behind they them. They don't. And what can corporations learn, like P&G, like corporations, learn about women's lives that they don't completely understand, I don't think, about what we have and all the other things going on? What, what can we teach them and what do they need to know? Well, and in fact, I used to use that analogy with them. I, I use that exact analogy with them. And it was helpful to understand because up until that point, um, many of them didn't get it. They didn't get that that was, go- was going on. Um, and that part of that is um, when you're in a uh, personnel discussion, for example, and there are comments about, well, she doesn't want it or so forth because she's working part time and so forth. 
will really sort of take a step back and said, now think about that. Is that comment that you just made because she's working part-time or is because, you know, she she has to. In fact, part-time women actually are more productive than a lot of full-time people because they have to be. And often very committed, just as committed, if not more so. If not more so. Mm-hmm. P- looking at it in that context. But so it, it's if you're ever in a position to help um, influence, then you have to, you have an obligation, a responsibility to help teach others, teach colleagues to say, no, that's not the right way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as women in particular, we can't sit back and be silent when we hear those kind of comments. We have to speak up. Have to speak uh, it's up. not going to change unless we do. Correct. Right? That is correct. Yeah. Listen to Laura Brenner, president and CEO of the Port Authority of Cincinnati in episode two. One of the times we had lunch, I remember you said, uh, we were talking about a women's organization and you said, I'm, you know, and you've been in women's organizations like the CPA group, um, but you said something that I haven't forgotten. This was years ago we had lunch. You said, men have the power. (laughs) So we need to be associated with men. We need to get along with men. We need to collaborate. We need to... Right, um, and so tell me about that. Talk I think about that, there, that there's a balance. You know, and unfortunately, everything is about balance. W- women support each other; should support each other. Women need to have um, spend enough time with each other so that we have a safe place to be vulnerable and to learn from each other and share experiences. And I think that's important. But that's not where we should be spending all of our time. We have to be there with the men. We have to learn how to. Um, demonstrate that we belong as peers with the men. And I think that uh, there are a lot of women that, that shy from that. And whether it's playing golf, hanging out at the bars, um, going on the retreats, you know, I wouldn't, I think I shared with you yeah, a, story a story when, yeah. it, when I was with the brokerage firm and we were in St. Louis for an executive um, committee session. And there were probably... Uh, 40, 50 people there for this education session that was attached to it. And after the cocktail hour, people started breaking up to go to decide where they're going to go to dinner. And I will say that the women, the, the only women that were there in attendance were the property management women. And not to um, disparage that group of very talented women that were very, very important to our, that organization, but they weren't the executive committee members. They weren't the managing directors of the different offices. They were not my peers. They were not the top paid brokers. They weren't executives. They were not right? executives. They were just a, yes. Not to, they, not to they didn't have the power, very, right? They, they did not have, have the, the power. power. And as we, we started to break up into um, dinner groups, I hung, was standing there next to two of my top brokers, top producing brokers. And they said, okay, well, we're getting ready to go to dinner. And I said, yes, where are we going? And they said, well, what do you mean? And I said, where are we going? And they said, well, aren't you, one of them said, aren't you going with the women to dinner? And I looked aghast at him and said, why would I be doing that? And he said, well, that's what my wife would be doing. And I said, well, I'm not your wife. (laughs) Who has the power here? He said, we do. I said, why would I not want to be with the people that have power? I am an executive in this company. And he just was like stood there staring at me. I mean, they'd never had a woman go out to dinner with them before. And I went out to dinner with them. And as I recall, I think I hit him over the head, too, that night. Yeah. So you went out to dinner with them. I went out to dinner with them. only woman. Of course. And, uh, yeah, I've been there, I don't know how many times, the, the only woman. And, you know, a lot of different experiences. They're afraid to curse around you. They're afraid to yeah. talk, tell off-color jokes. I mean, or they know. Or they do it 
too aggressively trying right. to shock intimidate you, you shock and, you oh no, yeah. susan sorry if we offended yeah, you right you know yeah that kind exactly of thing. yeah i've been through that as well nope yeah, I will I've got three brothers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't effing care. <laughs> I'll tell a joke, too. Um, but that's that's a great story. I have a similar story I'll tell briefly. Uh, my associate partner and I were uh, planning on, we'd taken a group of clients out to dinner one night, and uh, we were playing golf the next day, teeing off about 8 o'clock. And somebody else was, one of the clients said, I'm going to have this guy play with this. So all of a sudden, our foursome became five. And then, um, you know, he that, said... That has to get solved, right? It has <laughs> to get solved, right? Um, if, if, if the course only wants four to play at a time. And he said, Susan, um, why don't you play? I, I just called my wife. She's going to come and uh, she's going to play, you know, behind us. You can play behind us and she'll play with you. I'm like... Wait a minute! I I'm I don't not know your wife. With your wife? Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. You. Well, you'll enjoy playing. You know, she's well, you can play from the same tees. You know, the whole thing. And I'm like, I'm I'm sorry. She's already on her way to meet us here. You know, but I I'm not going to play with your wife. Now, what I wish I had said, as I look back, I I wish I'd said, why don't we make play three and two, mm-hmm. or why don't we play five? You know, right. we can play five, right. but nobody really kind of fought I, for me. Yeah, exactly. You know? To think that the answer is take the woman out. Take the woman out or have another uh-huh. woman come right. play right. and Susan can play with her I know. because she's a slow pet player after all, <laughs> which I'm not. I play as fast as anyone and, you know, I'm an okay golfer. I keep up, you know, I'm not a great golfer, but it was real. It's one of those stories where right. it's like they don't, they don't yeah, really get it. didn't get cross it. their minds. It right. didn't, they mm-hmm. didn't get it. Finally, on the topic of gender bias, we'll hear from Teresa Tanner, a previous executive with Fifth Third Bank and now head of her own new company, Reserve Squad, in Episode 11. We talked about uh, gender bias, and we both have long careers uh, uh, around and and have seen a lot of things, have have felt the gender bias. Um, And there have been plenty of stories in this podcast around uh, being talked over in meetings, mm-hmm, people taking sure. your ideas and that kind of thing. Give me a, a gender bias story that might be helpful to the listeners and and what you did or what, you know, maybe not what you did, but these things happen. And like you say, unconscious bias or maybe overt bias. Uh, sure. Give me a story. Well, you know, one thing that comes to mind is just um, situations in which people made assumptions about your desires, motivations, commitment level, things like that. And one one time in particular, I, I remember being on an all-male team, which, you know, I have, I have found myself on many times <laughs> over my career. Yes. Um, and uh, I had found out the next day because I heard them talking about some things that had happened the night before. And by the conversation, I had pieced together that the entire team had gone out for drinks um, and ended up having a great time the night before, and I wasn't even invited. And so immediately, I was young at the time, I thought, well, what's wrong with me? Do they not like me? Why wasn't I invited? And right. uh, one of my buddy peers on the team, I, I kind of went to him, and I said, what's up? Like, all of you guys went out. You didn't invite me. Uh, is it me? Did I do something? And they're like, oh, gosh, no, Teresa. No, it's not you. But we just assumed, you know, you usually pick your kids up from daycare that, you know, you would have to go home to be with your kids. Um, and, you know, that really just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, look, you didn't make any assumptions about anyone else. And some of my male peers have kids, too. Right. Yes, right. And you did not jump to those conclusions with them. Yes. 
Um, but it was an opportunity for me to educate and say, you know, I appreciate that your intent was um, to do something that you thought I wanted. Um, but in the future, don't make assumptions about my intentions. Right. Ask me and I'll tell you um, mm-hmm. if I'm available or not. But I see so often that, again, it may be unintentional, but whether it's being left out for that important networking mm-hmm. um, time or that promotion or that mm-hmm. opportunity to travel, you know, so often decisions are being made for us Yes, um, that shouldn't be made. Right. Based on assumptions that may or may not be true. That's right. You know, will she relocate? Well, what does her husband do? Well, right. you don't say that about the, the guy, you know, often. Right. And, um, you know, is she motivated? Is she is she committed? And, and that kind of thing based on her, her home life. I had a story and this was in the 80s. I was on a large bank floor. It was a commercial loan floor. And it was in real estate. And the guys all my age would gather and go to lunch. Like, Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And they'd all like, you know, there'd be about seven or eight of them, you know, right next to my desk. And I'd, I'd look up and I would kind of wait for them to invite me. And they wouldn't. I mean, they're mm-hmm. right next to my desk. They're all saying, where do we go? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at the same level they, as they are. And I came home and told my husband, I'm like, they gather around me and go to lunch and they don't ask me to go. Right. Know? And he says, the one guy who asks you to go is the guy who fe- who's going to feel like he has to entertain you. I'm mm. like, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. And so I've remembered that. Um, but, you know, I mean, to be bold, I, I could, I suppose I could stand up and say, where are we going? Why don't we go here? You know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do that at 25 years old, 27. The next topic we have is communication. What and how we communicate Communication is so important in so many ways. How we communicate, it's important that we speak with a strong voice. We speak to be heard, what we say and how we say it, when we say it. Sometimes it's important to say just the right thing at the right time and be vulnerable in our communication. First on the topic of communication is, again, Linda Clement Holmes, a retired top executive with Procter & Gamble, Episode 1. So tell me... um, you have been in a uh, large company like Procter & Gamble, fairly male-dominated as you rose the ranks mm-hmm. there. Um, and there were plenty of times, I think, that uh, I would have to imagine, and I think you've said, is that you were the only woman at the table, perhaps right. only the African, only African-American only right. African uh, woman or right. African-American there. Total right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, what, what advice would you give to women as they are the only woman that come into the boardroom and sit at the table? What, what advice, what, what, how did you conduct yourself? Um, I always thought about just because I was the only of anything mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't mean I have to act like I'm the only of anything. I have just a right to be there as anybody else does. Right. So that's the way I chose to act. Um, and uh, whether, whether that comes from posture um, I'm not all that tall, but that doesn't mean I can't act like I'm tall. Um, you know, or, or whether it's projecting your voice. Projecting your voice. Again, yeah. not all that tall, but that doesn't mean that I can't project my voice, you know, just as strongly as any other person at the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, and I always say, too, is like every other person at the table, male, they all go to the bathroom like everybody else. It's it's They don't have anything that's um, superhuman, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And And I'm here for a reason. Somebody thought I, I deserve to be here. That's why I'm here. Right. That's why you're here. That's and I think sometimes women in, in settings like this uh, will wait to speak 
will wait for that uh, lull in the conversation, right. which often in meetings never happens. Never happens. So you have so to break in. So you've got to break in. You break in. You've got to be uh, impolite and, and interrupt sometimes right. when you, and you have to kind of find your way. You can't, you can't interrupt, you know, at the wrong time. And it's, it's an art, I think. Right. And, you, and you can't be talking like this. You, you can't, can't talk, talk like, the little right, tiny voice. Nobody's like going to take you right. seriously, right? You right? can't talk like a little mouse. You know, you have to project your voice right. so that they hear you when you're, Making the break. You can't make a break like that. You have to make a break right. in the conversation. And project it. And project and Everybody in the room needs to hear what you have to say, right. whether you have a mic or not. Right, exactly. Know? And everybody likes, sometimes people like to fill the airspace just because that doesn't mean you can't break break in when they need to. Right. And, and you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we can sit there and listen and we know that there's something that we need to say because it needs to be said and we can do it in a way that isn't you know, acrimonious. Right. It isn't uh, attacking or confrontational necessarily, but it uh, needs to be said and you have to take the risk. Right. right. And a lot of times in a technical field where often there aren't as many women, and this is why I'm so glad to see that STEM programs and so forth exist to get more girls um, to grow up in this particular field. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times there weren't. So I might have been the only woman, you know, and my whole organization might have been men that reported to me. You can't let that intimidate you either. Right. Right. So, again, you're there for a reason. Um, And probably my best learning experience came really early in my career when um, there was a a woman, African-American woman. She was the first um, woman at this particular level. And she didn't have a strong technical background, but she didn't let that stop her either. And she had a really technical person and he was trying to intimidate her with a whole bunch of things. And I I remember to this day, she leaned across the table. We were the same height, so she wasn't very tall, leaned across the table, put a perfectly manicured finger in this man's face. And said, no, this is what you will do. And I said, that was the best thing ever. And from <laughs> then on, I said, okay, I got it now. Right, right. You <laughs> can do did. that. And he straightened up after that. Right. Too. Sometimes you got to grab him by the shirt collars. That's, that's right. And show him his boss. And that's, she, right. I, she leaned all the and put her perfectly manicured fingernail in his face. That's, right. <laughs> okay. Early in my career, I got really good advice. Uh, I supervised a group of 12 women at 21 years old mm-hmm. in a large you know, mortgage company. And uh, the person I was taking her spot, you know, was supervisor, I was taking her spot, and she said, you have to assume authority. Mm-hmm. You can't uh, be um, questioning your own authority. Right. You have to come in with authority. Yep. You are the boss. You don't have to get, you know, get reaffirmation that right. you are the boss and that you have authority uh, right. for, for for them. You don't have to ask for permission. Exactly. Ex- assume exactly. authority. Assume authority and don't right. wait to be told. Exactly. Don't wait to be told. Right. Next, we'll hear from Stacy Browning, previous president of PACOR in Episode 12. We talked about women and communication and how they communicate. Um, what have you seen with women and what advice would you give to young women in communication uh, as they're in a, a meeting or whatever uh, around communicating? What, what have you seen and what advice would you give? I do. I do think that communication is a competency that assists someone in leadership. And as I we talked earlier about my getting more involved in the financial realm uh, throughout my career as I um, really um, climbed the ladder uh, and I really had to figure out what worked and what didn't and communicate communicating in that set setting is um, is different. So one thing I learned and 
you maybe wished I learned it sooner, is that sometimes when women, and I guess anybody, talks very broadly, maybe has a wider lens or an intuitive lens, and can take in a lot of pieces of information, it it sounds to others, and especially men, that we might be overly detailed in the weeds and more tactical. Mm-hmm. And so it's and what I might be thinking, boy, this project isn't go going to go well unless we handle detail A, B, C. Aren't I strategic because I can see this wide mm-hmm. view? It comes off to others who are more linear or often men um, who prefer a more pointed or um, uh, narrow lens mm-hmm. in terms of their speaking like we're less strategic. Mm-hmm. So um, I have found benefit in trying to be very succinct. And now I'm thinking about my speaking right now. Am I doing this? <laughs> but, you know, being as clear and um, and concise as possible. And then certainly if there's a need to go deeper on a topic, uh, we can do that right then with permission. Like, hey, we have more details because there's a lot of things mm-hmm. we don't want to forget about. Is this the right time to talk about it or should we take that offline? Mm-hmm. Just even doing something like that will actually make women seem more strategic mm-hmm. than being in the weeds mm-hmm. at every point in time in a meeting. Um, sometimes women don't know. Maybe they're not really sounding like they think they're sounding in settings like that. Mm-hmm. I've seen that, too. And I think there's a tendency for us because we can look at a project and know how it gets done. And we do are detail oriented, generally speaking. OK, not all women are detail oriented, but we know how to get it done. And I think there's a tendency to over communicate. When men and women communicate or women with other women, you know, there's no need to over-explain or repeat ourselves or anything. Like kind of bullet point it, bottom Less line it. Less words are okay sometimes. Less words are okay sometimes. So really be aware of of the amount that you're saying. And uh, so you're the two messages I hear, the over-communication, sharing, you know, too much, uh, not bullet-pointing things. But the other thing, it's a very important point that we talked about uh, in that you're talking about, and that is that women do tend to be multitaskers. We get a lot of stuff done often, and you know, in a meeting with mostly men, one or two women, it's kind of like here are the guy with the ideas, but I'm the one that's raising my hand and say I know how to get this done. You know, so I'm the detail person. I'm the one that executes. They come up with the ideas. I execute. So the limitation to that can be she's not strategic. She knows how to get it done and make it happen. Susan gets it done. But because I'm not up here at 30,000 feet with them, they may not regard me as being as strategic as I am. Yes. Right? I think you're right. And the I think people don't and women don't realize they have to own this and and manage their communication uh, you know, I think women are generally often doers. Uh, and mm-hmm. maybe there's also, when I was listening to you, a confidence factor in that sometimes we feel like we have to really be bold in having um, others um, understand our contributions mm-hmm. by by almost grandstanding, like, look at me, I've done this, I've done this, I can do that, mm-hmm. don't forget about this thing right. I did, right. instead of just having the confidence to have our outcomes and our work stand on its own. Now, certainly mm-hmm. we have to uh, 
assert when, um, you, you know, there's a feeling like uh, we're being gone around. But, you know, we're, we're generally competent people and people mm-hmm. notice when we do have a track record mm-hmm. and we can be a little bit more succinct in our communication accordingly. Mm-hmm. Next, we'll hear from Barbara Turner, Chief Operating Officer of Ohio National Financial Services in Episode 17. Do not assume that everyone knows what you're doing. Right. No, right. it's your responsibility mm-hmm. to ensure that everyone is aware and to take control of your career. Yeah. And another thing you'd said, which I think is along the same lines, women have a tendency to suppress their talents, making themselves smaller. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, I I see that in meetings all the time. Mm -hmm. I will slide notes to individuals. You know this. Speak up. Yes, good. Yes, yes. You don't have to make yourself small in order to um, allow someone else to feel big. It's it's okay for all of us to be talented and to have something to offer um, in the conversation. Mm -hmm. But um, some women wait until they're given permission to speak or until they're called on to Mm -hmm. um, interject. And and no, it's okay to um, sit at the table and act as if you belong. I -hmm. mean, what's what's the use in having a seat at the table if you're going to suppress your talent or act as if you're not really um, supposed to be there, like you're just filling a seat? Next on communication, we'll hear again from Karen Case, Executive Managing Director and President of Commercial Real Estate for CIBC U.S. Bank, Episode 26. Talk about this doesn't come naturally to all women, and that is confronting, uh, taking on difficult situations. Often, I think there's a social expectation or expectation in the workplace by either men or, or women, people don't make waves, be nice, go along. And sometimes there are situations where we need to confront, we, we, we need to disagree, we do disagree, and it doesn't always feel natural. Uh, talk about confrontation and taking on difficult situations head on. Um, well, confrontation isn't easy. No one likes conflict. So when I know I'm walking into a tough situation, I really try and plan ahead. I try to script my phrasing. I think about my word choice and practice, practice, practice. It keeps away the emotion, and it's important in those situations not to be emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, I shared with you that uh, five years ago I had breast cancer. Yes. And I rehearsed in my head over and over and over again, how I would tell my children who were adults at the time, you know, I thought about what would I say, you know, what's the right time to tell them so that when that time came, it was easy. It was almost an out-of-body experience because the last thing I wanted to be was over-emotional, which would just scare them. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that in conversations like these, and you know, now moving more to the workplace, mm-hmm. don't be afraid of awkward silence, right? You <laughs> say your piece, and then you be quiet, and you wait for a response. Yeah, that's great advice. I've, I've done it. I've yeah. used it. It works. 
Yes. You know, it's like when you have a client yelling at you on the phone and you just listen and then they realize they're doing all the yelling and you're not yelling back. <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> I used or, to yell back. I, but <laughs> I don't anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Silence works. Right? And then I think about like, let's say you're approaching your manager about a compensation increase, right? You think about what's the worst that can happen. You'll get fired? No. Well, if you get fired for something like that, then you're probably in a toxic environment and it's time to go anyway, right? You want to, you know, I think it's worse to go home and look in the mirror and regret that you didn't confront the issue head on. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, um, I'd i like to come back to the breast cancer diagnosis, but let's keep with this theme right now, and that is the difficult conversations. And it sounds like you do what I do, which is writing out what I want to say. And it sounds geeky, you know, but it works for me. I write out what I want to say. I practice it many times in the car, many times at home, out loud, just so I make sure I stick to what I want to say. And I often tell women, stick to the facts, keep the emotion out of it, stick to the facts. You know, I got a, I got this kind of bonus last year. This year, I would expect to get a higher bonus because I've done this and that. We've had a successful year, and and stick to the facts. Be professional. Is that is that your approach Absolutely. as well? Absolutely. Once you get emotional, yeah. Once you get emotional, you you know lost all of your uh, energy and you know the direction in which you were trying to go. Finally, on communication, Chris Garrett a top banking executive with Fifth Third Bank in episode 33 on communication. We discussed uh, vulnerability. Yes. And how you use that in your career. And vulnerability is in our early careers. It, it wasn't like the Brene Brown era where it's like vulnerability is very good in business. You know, you bring it in, you show them, you know, emotion, you show them who you are. Today, we've got more of an empathic, you know, uh, leadership, empathic. We have to make sure our employees feel comfortable, all of that. How do you use, how have you learned to use vulnerability in your career as you lead? I, I think uh, I've had to really come to grips that that is an important element of leadership. Mm. And I did not uh, incorporate that. I just was raised in an environment where even when I was pregnant, I was um, always strong. Mm hmm always had a competitive edge mm -hmm. and uh, was always ready to move forward regardless of organizational change. I came to realize that people need to connect. They need to know when and how you might be feeling vulnerable as a leader mm. and that I had to express that yes. in order for them to feel that I trusted them. Mm -hmm. So I went through that five or six years ago. I really attribute that to going through so many mergers yeah. <laughs> and acquisitions. As I said, it's always good to be the acquirer. Yes. But sometimes I was on the other side. Acquired. And as you know, the uh, the change and just the sheer number of employees exiting. Yes. You know, post every merger. Yes. I didn't have that as a direct um, outcome for my own role, mm -hmm. but certainly had to deal with that. So I think I struggled to bond with people because mm -hmm. I was always prepared for the next round of changes. Mm -hmm. So when I worked at a regional commercial bank headquartered in Chicago, which I loved, I loved that job for nine years. I had a wonderful team. 
I think I still carried with me a kind of standoffish or closed mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. And so I had some feedback on that from the chief human resource officer who really cared about the employees and cared about me as a leader. Mm-hmm. And I was astonished that at a late stage in my career, anybody would dream of giving me any feedback. But when I went to talk with my direct reports together as a group, I did find that they were concerned I didn't trust them. Mm. And trust their judgment, trust them as leaders, and that I was perhaps judging them. Yeah. You know, yeah. kind of ongoing. And I it was creating yeah. a lot of stress. I see how that could happen. So I just became more vulnerable and said, hey, I'm going through this empty nester stage. I've been in therapy this summer. I just want you to know that you're the most important people to me after my family. Right. And I care about each and every one of you. And if I have failed, to tell you that. I am here to tell you that today. <laughs> they all welled up, men and women. And, oh, wow. And we had that moment. That's special. Yeah, special And, time. you know, after that, I said, of course, I promptly went to the chief human resources officer office, Vicki's neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I said, thanks a lot. I've been completely vulnerable and cried in front of my team. Are you happy now? <laughs> but it changed. It had it to have changed. changed the relationship with them. Everybody then understood, said, we were misunderstanding you, misunderstanding your cues. Yes, right. And that was a real moment for me, and I've never forgotten that. And hopefully still carry Mm -hmm. that today as a leader. The message I'm hearing from you, and it sounds like you got this feedback when you were with Valley in in Arizona, and that with your human resources person here, that you are open to feedback. And that's probably a very good message for young women to not resist it, welcome it, and just let it help you sharpen the saw. Let it help you improve who you are and how you're relating to people. Because I've heard it said, you cannot know yourself by yourself. And so other people are reflecting back to you what they see. And if you are open to that criticism and you make changes, it can improve a lot of things that you wouldn't have been able to do before, right? I, I think that's probably one of the, mo- the the most important lesson I've ever learned. Mm. That's a really important observation, what you just said. Mm. And I hope everybody listens to that. Mm-hmm. I think people too often are thin-skinned. Yes. They take it too personally. Right. It's even when it's the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think that you can't change your behaviors, you know, without that kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, I think sometimes when people do get that feedback, they focused on who said it. Yes. Not they worry too much about who said it. Right. And what people think of them rather than using it. And uh, the people saying it, that takes a lot of courage to say it. Yes. A lot of courage. A lot of courage. And a lot of people choose not to do it. They'd rather just keep going along, not have right. confrontation, not worry about her, you know, getting emotional about it, whatever. Right. And it's really valuable to hear it. Yes. I had uh, another mentor, uh, Steve McClellan Mack, who joined J.P. Morgan. He's currently with Northern Trust, still someone I admire and appreciate. Mm -hmm. I worked for him for five years at J.P. Morgan. He gave me some brutally constructive feedback, a little bit in that same vein, Mm -hmm. saying how I was prone to running people over when I wanted to get something done. (laughs) I'm raising my hand. And I said, I looked right at him. I said, well, I can actually think of three or four people pretty specifically. (laughs) And I made amends and I changed my behavior after that. I was embarrassed, you know, and I I hadn't considered fully 
what you know, I the want people right, right. I want people to help me get things done. And of course they want to help you get things of course done, they right? Do. Yeah. So that was also <laughs> another good piece of feedback. Yeah, yeah, you and I share this. I mean the ambition, the competitiveness, yes. the desire to strive, drive, right. succeed mm-hmm. can cause us to and it sounds like maybe with your staff there where you got the feedback where it's like we do I don't want to say look over shoulders, but it's like your work has to be as good as mine. Yes. And it's probably not going to be because I'm mm-hmm. a perfectionist. You mm-hmm. know, so we are kind of like, well, make sure that for the client we have to do. And like, here she comes again. She's t- checking on oh me. Oh, my you know? gosh. Yeah. And so we don't realize the impact mm-hmm. of uh, the, the, our drive and our the way our personalities are. But at, over time, fortunately, we finally get it, right? Yes, finally. <laughs> I'm still learning. Yeah. yeah, me too. I am still oh. learning. It comes up. The next topic is saying just the right thing, saying what needs to be said at the right time. There are times when we must say what needs to be said. Our next topic is about speaking up, saying the thing which needs to be said at the right time. As women, we're often socialized to behave in a compliant, go-along kind of way. People, often men, are not used to us speaking up. When we do, we can be labeled as troublemakers, aggressive defiant, and not getting along. Often we can find that someone will say something which can offend us, single us out. Perhaps it's a criticism. Often they do this when they have an audience of other men. And it hits us and it can hurt. It can shake our confidence. And it's common to find the room go quiet when it's said and you find the eyes are on you. Sometimes we're so shocked that they've said this. Speaking up and saying just the right thing at the right time can be a great way to make a point, raise awareness, and have your voice. It's only by speaking up when we need to that we have any hope of change. Say what you need to say. Say what needs to be said. Good comebacks saying just the right thing at the right time could set boundaries and show confidence, and the criticism will probably stop. It does require a clear head and poise and thinking on your feet. To make a point about something offensive, someone says, I've often used the question, what did you just say? I've also used silence, and I've used humor as well. Sometimes saying just the right comeback can change how we are treated and how we are viewed. Listen to Julia Poston in Episode 7. She's previously managing partner at Ernst & Young. Tell me about a time, uh, many stories do you have about when you were the only woman in the room, whether it was early in your career or later, and uh, any stories you have there around gender bias? Sure. Lots. <laughs> <laughs> I do, too. We could be here a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, the one that I will truly never forget, um, so I, I, I mentioned my father was such a great supporter of of. Um, all of us kids, but he was a great supporter of women before it was really in fashion. And I I remember, and he was a a religion professor, and I remember Mm -hmm. when I told him I was going to go into business, he said to me, oh, Julia, business is so unethical. Maybe, you know, you should do something else. And I said, no, Dad, you know, I think think you're going to, I'm going to show you that it's actually a a good, you know, it is ethical, that there's good behaviors. So I was with the firm for about three years, and I had a client that... um, it was kind of challenging, and the, the CFO and the controller that we worked with um, on the engagement were, were particularly challenging. And at the end of the um, engagement, we went in for kind of our wrap-up meeting, if you will, and it was the partner on the account, the uh, manager on the account, and myself as a senior, and these, these two from the client, the CFO and the controller. 
And we sat down, and, and the CFO said, before we get started, would anybody like some coffee? And our partner said, um, yeah, that'd be great. Our manager said, terrific, that'd be great. He looked at me, and I said, no thanks, I, I don't drink coffee. And then he just looked me square in the eye, and he said, well, Julia, you're the only female in the room. You'll need to go get the coffee. And I remember thinking to myself, I think my dad came into my head first, which was, my dad would be really disappointed in me if I went and got that coffee. <laughs> and then I looked over the partner and the manager, and I thought, there's a good chance I might get fired if I just say what I want to say. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, instinctively, just kind of out of my mouth came the, the, the words of, I'm sorry, Jerry, you must not have heard me. I don't drink coffee. And then I just kind of held my breath, and I sort of thought I was going to throw up. Um, fortunately, <laughs> How old were you? I was 25. Oh, that's bold. Yeah. And fortunately, the partner um, kind of stepped up and said, hey, you don't talk to women like that in this day and age, which I still think is kind of funny because that was a long time ago. And he said, and you certainly don't talk to this, this, um, this woman that way. I'll go get the coffee. So the partner literally got up and went and got the coffee for everybody. We had the rest of our meeting. And then as we left, he said to me, um, Julie, I want you to know something. And I said, what? And he said, we're going to fire that client. We're not going to work with that client anymore after we finish issuing our report um, because that's not the kind of clients that we work with. Mm -hmm. And I remember driving home that night and calling my dad and telling him, Dad, this is what happened today. This is the good ethical principles that a business can have. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of my early, early on experiences with very blatant bias. I mean, I, yeah. I really couldn't imagine that somebody would actually say that in a, in a business setting. Um, but it did happen ex exactly as I as yeah. I described it. And that's that's ethics, if you ask me. If mm. you know, I've had plenty of clients over the years that where it's like they did something where it was really like really unfair mm -hmm. and really not right. Yeah. And I just had to say, I don't have to work with them. Right. You know, I don't have to work with them, and I choose not to. Next on this topic is Susan Gallagher, President and CEO of BPI Group, Episode Thirty Nine. You have a pretty demanding career and uh, four children, and you had, a, I'm sure, a spouse that was there doing his part. And uh, you did make a point, even though no matter where, where you were in your career, what was going on, that you would leave around 5 o'clock every day. And one of your male associates uh, said something to you. Uh, what's your philosophy there? What did he say? Yeah, so... You know, it didn't work all the time. You're, you're yeah. certainly plenty of business trips and night meals, but my husband and I were pretty committed to to getting home and and figuring out how the day had gone for the for the kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one time I was walking out the door um, at at about five, and uh, one of my partners looks at his watch very demonstratively and says, "Gallagher, what is this half day?" You know, and. It, and announced it really to this bullpen of, of people, which mm -hmm. was where you sat in those days. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I could have been mortified, which is your original sort of natural fight or flight reaction to something like that. But I, I had learned, I had trained early on to not take or react to your original response or reaction to uh, to control those sort of natural impulses, reactions. Impulses, impulses, yes. Uh -huh. right. mm -hmm. And really think about what I needed to have happen 
where I wanted this to go and respond accordingly. Um, and I, I think, you know, if I had succumbed to that kind of pressure, uh, I probably wouldn't have stayed at Anderson as long as, as I did. I think I contributed significantly to the firm, but they certainly contributed to me. So it was important for me um, to stay there and build my career and, and learn all that I did learn there. Um, mm-hmm. So what so did it, you say to him? What it, how did you my response was, well, if I, if, if the guy's name was Dave, well, Dave, if you can't get your work done <laughs> in a work day, that is not my issue. So I kind of pushed it back to him. It was a little gutsy because he was a partner, yeah. but I, um, you know, I just tried to stay very focused on what I needed to have happen. The image I wanted to portray under control, making a choice and moving toward my goals. That was quick. And that was the really the perfect response, which is like, well, you know, look, I've, I'm done with my work. I get it all done in the nine hours I was here or whatever. And, and so, and he did it in, and he had an audience. A lot of these guys like to have an audience, right? When they're saying things to you. Always. Yeah. Isn't that the case? <laughs> that is true. Like they wouldn't say it to you one-on-one, right? Uh, probably not. But, but he's got an audience. He probably felt safe and he's like, is thinking, hey, we're all the guys are still here working. Where are you going? Right? And you said, oh, I love, I love the comeback. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I think I trained early on in my career under a guy named Dr. Robert Cooper, and he has this work on hacking the human brain, and it's really all about, you know, we have these natural reactions, and if you really stay very, very focused on what is the real goal. What, you know, not, not what am I doing internally, but where do I need to take this and what is the real goal and how do we accomplish that goal mm-hmm. or objective, I think, um, has really served me well over my career. My next podcast guest on this topic is Barbara Turner again, Chief Operating Officer of Ohio National Financial Services in Episode 17. For many years um, in business, um, there have been times when we talked about this, when I've been given signals that I'm not good enough, um, that I'm not smart enough, qualified enough. And while I worked to fight those messages I was hearing, sometimes they would get me down. And you and I talked about this, and you have had the same experience. And the treatment of us by others can affect our confidence. What would you say to women about this, that the messages we get from people, how it affects confidence and what we need to do. Right. So I would, um, the first thing I would say is you have to know who you are and what you bring to the table Mm -hmm. and own your power. You also have to speak up Mm -hmm. and um, dispel myths and rumors around who you are and who you are not and what you are capable of of doing versus not. Um, I always tell people, you are enough. You are enough. Show up and do what you're capable of doing and do it well and um, eliminate the noise because mm-hmm. that's all it is. It's um, a mentality. Some some have a mentality where they're trying to defeat you or belittle you or what have you, and that's all noise to me. Mm-hmm. Eliminate the noise. Stay focused own your power, do you, (laughs) and um, just keep going. Don't give up. 
Don't give up. Yeah, great advice. Great advice. Because I think there are a lot of obstacles and there are things out there where women can be demeaned and, and dismissed and felt, you know, belittled. And right. and you really have to say, I'm better than that, and right. I won't allow you to talk to me that yeah, way. Yeah, you have to call it out. You have to call it out. Call it out. Yeah. And I've done that plenty of times. So I mean, I. there have been situations where I will say, well, why, why do you say that? Right. Or what do you mean by that? Right. Or is there a problem here? <laughs> you right. know, I, I call it out. Mm-hmm. You know, now early on in my career, I um, I was a bit combative about it. Yes, I was too. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned how to um, do it in a way that um, gets the point across, but also allows me to be professional mm-hmm. and um, but also be heard. You yes, know? and so it, it doesn't have to be some big confrontation. It doesn't, but you have to demonstrate courage, right? And um, call bad behavior out mm-hmm. on the spot. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't let a lot of time um, lapse between the time that I um, confront a situation. Um, sometimes I call it out in a meeting in front of others, depending on what the situation is. Other times it may be a situation that warrants a special one-on-one meeting yes. where I can <laughs> really have a conversation with yeah. the person. So, you know, yes. you said this and it really wasn't right. I didn't right. appreciate it, whatever. Exactly. Um, but it's it's pretty rare for people to be called out on it and they're not used to it the people that do that are not used to being called out and sometimes you know you and i talked about being young and being combative it doesn't have to be a combative thing it it can be just a disarming uh question like what do you mean by that exactly that's all exactly and they're like oh she's asking me what i meant by that and then you watch them watch them squirm well i yeah. had a situation not too terribly long ago where i called out bad behavior and someone accused me of being hostile and oh. i thought no, <laughs> no. <laughs> we're having a conversation that's right and i'm asking a question right yeah, and I understand that because that's where that's where people will go often. Like, right. well, what's your problem? Right. You know? Right. Well, my problem is you've just criticized my work in front of everybody. Exactly. That's all. Right. You know? Right. And that doesn't mean that I'm hostile. There doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with me. Right. So we have to have the courage to stand up. We have to do that. We must. Yeah. We, we must. must. Next up, we have Florence Hudson, CEO of FD Hints and former C-suite executive with IBM, episode 15. I looked up microaggression because I'm sure I've heard this term before, but I've heard it several times from you. And I'm going to read the definition I printed out today. Microaggression is a term used for brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative prejudicial slights and insults toward any group, particularly culturally marginalized groups. That's a lot. So. It is a lot. So let, let me explain it kind mm-hmm. of in a Okay. Way. 
So like, you know, when someone says something to you and it like, it puts a little ding in your heart. Mm -hmm. This happened to me like last week I was at this event. I was actually on the main tent speaking at this event. Mm -hmm. And this guy didn't know I was going to be on the main tent the next day. And we're talking and uh, his girlfriend is with him. We're chatting. And so I said, so what do you do? He goes, well, I'm on a few boards in biotech, but I'm sure you wouldn't understand it. (laughs) You're sure I wouldn't understand it. Okay. And I didn't say it that way, but I was upset, you know, inside Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I'm leading, you know, a global working group of 230 people working on clinical internet of things and cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a book coming out in connected healthcare. I'm like, you think I don't understand this stuff? Does he know, does he know what your background and what you do? Well, no, because you don't wear your bio like, you know. Okay, so he didn't know. He didn't know and he didn't realize I was going to be in the main tent the next day and then then doing a breakout session. Um, But that happens to me rather often. You know, um, I was at another event where I was going to be on the main tent stage and um, there was a guy doing a poster and I said, oh, maybe you could. I said, oh, I'd like to hear your poster. He looked at me like derogatorily, looked me up and down and said, oh, do you understand optimization? And I was like. You know, meanwhile, you know, I'm a rock, you know, I used to design space missions. Rocket scientist. I'm a rocket scientist, right? (laughs) So I just look at him and I always try to be gracious in these situations. I said, you know, I think I can handle it. Why don't you give me a try? And um, so he did. And then I was standing at the poster. Another man who knew who I was came over. And at the time, I was a chief innovation officer and senior vice president of Internet, too. And um, so we're standing, this, they're talking to each other. And I look at the gentleman who knows me, and I said, um, I need to ask this gentleman a question, meaning the guy who said, do you understand optimization? Mm-hmm. I said, but I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, and I don't want you to walk away. I said to the man who knew me. <laughs> then I looked at the other man who said, do you understand optimization? And I said, why did you say that to me? Hmm. Good. And then I was as quiet as the sound you just heard. Just and listen. I waited until he said something. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, making facial expressions. Like he was probably trying to think, oh, why did I say that? It's unconscious bias. <laughs> right? Yes. And then a microaggression comes out. And, um, you know, and it's interesting because when he was explaining his poster to me, I was thinking he's doing this all wrong. It was cognitive computing. I worked on the Watson strategy at IBM. He was forking these two things. He should have been bringing them together. But I was like, let me not make the guy feel bad, you know, so I'll be nice here. I'll be the grown up. Someone has to be <laughs> That's evolved. That's evolved, Florence. Oh, my gosh. And so <laughs> I looked at this other man who knew me and I said, you know what I'm talking about? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm conscious bias. <laughs> <laughs> And so he looked at this man who had dissed me and said, she understands optimization and regression and a lot more things than you'll ever understand. I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. You know, and um, so this happens to me all the time. You know, I'm wearing a suit. I look like a grown up still. You know, I'm not cute and young Mm -hmm. and wearing pink as much anymore. I don't have a headband on. What's the problem here? Right. So this happens a lot. And those are microaggressions. What happens though, Susan, is that I think of this as I have armor on you. Put on your armor and you go out there, right? Mm -hmm. And then these little things happen. Ding. It's like a chink in your arm. Ding, ding. And and before you know it, it's like a hailstorm. Ding, 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 Mm -hmm. ding, 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 ding. And then people go, I've had it. You know, and then either you react or you leave. Mm-hmm. And then they say, gosh, why do women leave these jobs? And you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, And they can't see it. It's like when you're hurting inside. People mm-hmm. can't see it. You know? And those microaggressions really add up. So now when I do my diversity and inclusion workshops, 
we I actually hand out a list of microaggressions. These mm-hmm. are examples of microaggressions and people like gobble it up. Like they hold it like there's no way I'm losing this piece of paper because they don't really know what it is. Finally, on this topic, we have Tilly Hidalgo Lima, CEO of Best Upon Request, Episode 3. At some point, you have to trust that how you're being led yourself with your inner voice and removing those limiting beliefs um, for young women to find their voice, to take a chance and um, build relationships. Mm-hmm. And that um, has really served me well. Yeah. Talk and about s- the finding your voice and having the courage to say out loud what uh, what your needs are, setting boundaries. Um, and we, I'm sure we have some stories there. But um, what do you see with young women as far as speaking up? Um, we talked about executive presence. What does that mean for you? Executive presence is standing tall, not not cowering. So I once had someone say, "Live all the way out to your skin," mm. and I love that because Live all the way out to your skin. Mm-hmm. Because it's the inside that can retract and and become small. Mm-hmm. And so there's just something about making that decision. It's, it's a line that you step across in your mind to take on whatever is a, ahead of you, uh, a difficult conversation or what we call fierce conversation. And so it's finding that voice to share your observations, share from your experience, and not hold back. So... And use your instincts. Would you say that too? Would Th- you? That's it, like instincts, intuition. Yes. You're hearing intuition, something instincts. and not being afraid because you think you're going to hurt someone's ego, especially if there's men in the room, mm-hmm. to speak the truth. It has never hold, held me back. Mm-hmm. Speaking truth, even if it's with a client that says, the liaison of our of this program, the investment you're making is not being realized with someone who's being um, micromanaging, their their style is um, not letting. It's it's a lack of trust, and if mm-hmm. you can find the the courage and and um, to instill truth into the conversation, that has always served well. Mm-hmm. The truth it does set you free when you're speaking. Is. This is my yeah. observation. Here's how I feel about it. Here's what may be at risk if we don't address it. So what do you want to do? Put it out there. Right. And so and that's... be vulnerable. Have courage, just like the Brene Brown message, yes. okay? Going back to that, the vulnerability, the courage, and uh, it's a new way of leading, you know, today. I think, I think that when you are vulnerable, that creates connection. Mm-hmm. And does. that it creates can. an opportunity where it's like, wow, if she can do that, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like that's so unlikely, but strength is not about power and control or command and demand or command and control. And those are male uh, male uh, habits, uh, mm-hmm. typically. Not, it's not a hierarchy. Men. It's the it's military. power control, you know. Whereas if you become a censor for the organization and you share what your observations are, better decisions are made at that level instead of top down. Tell me about... Tell me about setting boundaries around um, for women, what you tolerate, 
you know, and tolerating things. And give me an example of a situation where um, you set a boundary and and respected yourself and respected how you want to be treated and so forth. Give me a, a story. So one of my Tilly-isms is uh, what you tolerate says a lot about who you are. What you tolerate says a lot about who you are. Exactly. I like that. And so when you allow someone to disrespect you, it really creates a, a, something that's incongruent. It feels like um, that you've accepted someone to put you down or diminish you, and that's not good for your soul. Mm -hmm. And so I have a board of advisors. I've had one since 2005, and um, the board is very diverse, men and women, backgrounds, experiences, expertise. Mm -hmm. And I had a board member at the time who, in a board meeting, um, stood on the soapbox and basically shamed me by saying, you don't have your head on straight. And um, it was very disrespectful. Personal attacks, really. It was. you. How I was thinking, what point. I was doing. And it was, now, I, 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 it did not sit well with me. And I could no. not allow that to happen again. Were people no. talking to you about it in the board? Kind of like, so what, you know? two of the board um, of advisors are women. And they came to me and said, you need to address this, or we're going to address it ourselves. Mm. What we witnessed was so unacceptable. It was so shocking that at the time, um, no one said anything. It, and I did everything I could to hold back the tears mm. because it was hurtful. Right. And I just waited till the very end. And then I did some deep thinking mm -hmm. how I was going to... Paused. Right? The, pause. Right. Yes. the pause, Take yes. Pause. Take a pause. Take a pause. Assess and realize this person's not a good fit. Mm -hmm. Right. And so uh, I did find the courage to reach out and say, hey, can we have lunch? And so I explained my observation. And I said to him, this really, our relationship works really well, one-on-one, -on -one, but not in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, then I'm going to resign right now. And I said, I accept your resignation. Do you think that surprised him? Completely surprised him. Because he was throwing it out. I'll resign then. And then you said, okay, that yes. works for me. And so I accepted the power, it. the bullying, yep. you know, of you know, making his point through personal attacks toward you in a group like that. He wasn't able to apologize, although he realized by just insinuating that what he had said or had done was not acceptable or inappropriate. Mm -hmm. I don't know if many people had had the courage to let him know that he had crossed a boundary. Right. He'd been getting away with it. I think so, right. because he has very big ego, and he was going to tell me how to run my company. And I thought, wait a minute, he's an advisor. I'm paying him to be an advisor. And at that time, it was not working well. And so I thought, well, something needs to change. And so it's going to have to be my mm -hmm. approach. And so it worked out. Did you it was fine. Think, uh, I've seen him since, and it's been mm -hmm. very pleasant. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he respects me more. Yeah, he probably does. Uh, but do you think he would have treated... A man heading a company in the same way? Great question. Great question. You're pausing to respond. <laughs> Silence gives you an answer to my <laughs> to your question, right? I I don't know. Uh, we can surmise. We can surmise that maybe. Yep. But the message for you and and to women out there is 
there's a way I expect to be treated to yes. honor myself. I, and you crossed a boundary with me, and I am setting a boundary with you. You cannot talk to me like that, right? One on one or in a group, and I won't allow it. Exactly, so. exactly. And I think that was surprising um, to him, mm -hmm. and um, it gave me more courage for the next time. That's great. And so yeah. I found it really um, disconcerting or surprising that. Another person said, and she was a woman, well, how could you have done that? Hmm. You know, that almost like, well, that hurt his feelings. And right. I said, I was very respectful. Mm -hmm. and stick so, to the facts. I, that's you know, exactly right. You stick to right. the facts, stay professional. The way you talk to me doesn't work to, uh, with, you know, for me. Yes. And yeah. so he says, I'm, well, then I'm going to yeah. resign. Good. <laughs> well, it's also helped me that when I've seen that a client – or an individual at the client site does not respect my team, our team. And so um, there's even that where we had a client who was a new uh, person head of HR, and he was very dismissive of um, our uh, VP of client services and uh, Bill at the time. Mm. And I reached out to the CEO and I um, said, this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And so what I have found when I have had those kind of conversations is it's it's not just happening to us. It's happening to others. Happening so to that others. behavior, right. once you shed the light, it's like, is this happening elsewhere? Mm -hmm. And then you find out, oh, yes. It is happening elsewhere. And good for you for standing up because a lot of people tolerate it. And there's a tendency, and I think we find this in Cincinnati, Ohio, where people don't want to ruffle feathers, they don't. They want to remain polite, and so or they, nice, or nice, and they nice Midwest nice, right? And so we we tend to be polite when we don't have to get angry and get emotional about it. You stick to the facts, you know, and you say you say your truth, just like exactly. you said. I hope you enjoy this special edition of Leading She Topics and podcast guest clips. Make sure you check out the website leadingshe.com for some more ideas and thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.